Welcome back, everyone, to the Miss Art World podcast. I am your host, Catherine, with my co-host, Samuel. What is up, Art World? Welcome back. Brand new year, too. Is this our first one for the new year? No, because I'm a terrible person and just um, put up our recap of Basil and Satellite. Uh, like that, Those were so long ago. I know, but I'm a busy person, okay? So... This is technically our second, but our first with an artist um, who we have Jessica E. Blinkhorn uh, with us. And I must say, Jessica, that I think you're one of the highlights that Samuel and I came back with from Miami. Like we were Aww, so really? excited. Yeah. Um, I think both of us talked to you at different times and we both came back and were so excited about talking like meeting you and seeing your work and just you were so like spunky and fun to talk to you and not you meet a lot of it's artists. funny that is actually my dad's nickname for me it's been spunker since I was two years old back when I was able to walk I was always into everything so mm -hmm. dad started calling me spunker and I actually have daddy's little spunker tattooed on my arm Oh, it's kind of funny that you would use that word. It fits. It's it, and it's so like delightful to meet you, and you're just like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm doing my artwork, and I'm not gonna apologize for it." And I, I really thought that you were just so much fun to talk to. Well, thank you. And I have to say, like, I've followed your work for many years. I want to say three to four years. I've followed your work on Instagram. And um, I really like the juxtapositioning that you use with like, the, you know, the exterior world and the interior world and how you have all of these like surrogates that are, you know, installed with your work and your use of the visual is really dramatic and poignant. And I don't know, I, I, the, uh, the, the installation at um, Art Basel <clears throat> for a performance lab at Satellite Art Show was really, really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let me read a little bit about you and then we'll just dive right in. So Jessica E. Blinkhorn is a Atlanta-based interdiscipl interdisciplinary artist. Um, her work advocates for the LGBTQ plus disabled and aging communities. She uses a power chair and focuses her work on acceptance through acknowledgement of differences, body positivity, disabled education through experience, exposure, or experience and exposure of, ugh, hold on, reading's hard. Um, <laughs> disabled education through experience and exposure, human sexuality and storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and so if someone's looking you up right now, what's the best place to go? Is it your Instagram or your website? I'm actually on my Instagram a lot. I keep my uh, website up and I try to update it as much as I remind myself to update it because <laughs> I hate doing it so much. Um, but I, I try to update, update that every three to six months with um, new information and new shows. Um, but I'm not really on there. That's mainly for when I apply for jobs. Um, just so they have like a full, <clears throat> you know, a full catalog of what I've done, like my CV just right there. But I'm on Instagram a lot. So if people want to start following me on Instagram, that's usually that that's what receives the most 
activity in my life. I'm not TikTok ready yet. No, I you're not TikTok. It. I was just about to No, ask I don't understand you. it. It's so annoying because like I want to do all these really cool videos. I'm like, I don't know how to do them. And like I don't have people to help me do them. So I'm like, all right, what can I do myself? So it's basically a lot of that, like, I hate to say this, kind of like vain, like staring into the camera and like <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty much what TikTok is, though. But TikTok's a little more dangerous because once you get into it and they figure out your algorithm, then you're just like scrolling through all the the videos and you can't seem to pull yourself away. So if you have a problem with t uh, Instagram already with being on it too much, then TikTok's even worse. Oh man, every morning is like TikToks and coffee. That's what I do every morning. <laughs> I sit on the toilet and I like drink my coffee and watch TikTok. That's probably TMI, but I'm kind of known for that. It's part of my charm, I think. Your morning sounds a lot like my morning. Uh, <laughs> same. TikToks and coffee. We're just like, and then uh, eventually, you got once the coffee's gone through, you got to go to the pot. And while you're there, you might as well TikTok some more. Exactly. <laughs> so Jessica. Um, I, if anyone had listened to the podcast before, uh, we've talked about your performance art um, and your performance art in Basel was where you, you were in the chair and you had two empty chairs. And then it was to me when I was there and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but it was like the interaction and you weren't necessarily interacting with the public, but the public was interacting with you where they were just like, you had the space and all they had to do was like walk around you there are so many people that just kind of like walked through that art space. <clears throat> yeah, so um, the performance that I presented at Art Basel is part of um, a performance that I've been working on for about two years. I think I started it right before the pandemic is when I first came up with the idea. Um, and going into the pandemic, it really kind of hit home, you know, just the urgency of my community and how our voices were kind of being snuffed out and we were kind of left in the, the distortion of what was going on in the world when everybody else is up in the microphone screaming their story, no one's listening to ours. And I really got <clears throat> involved in like self-advocating during this time. Uh, when I was younger, it was like, um, oh, I'm cool, I can make do, it's not a big deal, the wheelchair's not a big deal, disability's not a big deal. But as you get older and you become more disabled, it's a big damn deal. It's a huge deal, you know? So I started like, <clears throat> during the pandemic, that was my reset moment in my life. And I came up with Reverence We Three. And so what Reverence We Three is, is it's a, it's a performance series that's meant to take uh, place across the American landscape and visit cities with roots in the civil rights movements and go into these cities um, through, uh, you know, the feed from Instagram followers and get their opinions on what's the most inaccessible place in their city. And then I would set up kind of like a tribute site. Um, it's myself as the object of reverence to serve as a reminder of what is and what will be for the majority of the society. And I'm joined by two empty wheelchairs, which represent my sister and my brother um, who have passed and those who have passed or those who fight and continue, those who have fought and continue to fight for um, inclusion, equity, and equality in the disabled aging communities. People come for three hours and they bring flowers, placing them in or around the performance area in the wheelchairs. Um, they can come back and then they, uh, at the end of the three hours, we 
pull all the petals from the flowers into the performance space to refocus the necessity for inclusion and uh, to remind people that they could quickly be in my position. Um, and during my performance, you'll notice I wear a big headdress. And a lot of people are like, well, why do you wear the headdress? Why do you wear the mask? And I wear the mask because, you know, COVID. <laughs> the headdress I wear because of, you notice there are little pieces of mirrors in my headdress. And that is meant to cue the viewer that they could be in my position. You know, I'm a reflection of their impending future. And I think that that's what we need to be reminded of uh, when you come across people from the disabled community. We don't need your sympathy. We don't need to hear we're an inspiration. Um, we need your empathy. We need your advocacy. We need your allyship. And we need you to also remember that just as quickly as stepping out your front door, you could be sliding right into my position. Mm -hmm. That was a very long-winded response, but you know, no, I, I, one thing I didn't by sitting up outside of our outside of um, the uh, satellite performance show um, uh, was just I liked when people walked around me, but when they walked through me, like I didn't exist, that further just frustrated me because it actually is part of the narrative how you only really pay attention to us when it serves a profit margin mm -hmm. or some sort of need to feel superior or better about yourself um, otherwise you just kind of avoid us uh, you kind of just pass by us like we don't exist it's too hard to look it's too hard to accept it's too hard to acknowledge I like to put myself in people's faces. I always have, because <clears throat> I'm not afraid of who mm -hmm. I am. The one thing that I noticed with your performance there was the the people that there's two groups of people. The one that kind of walked around, and the the people that walked around tended to be by themselves or like uh, an older couple, and they would steer clear or like see what was going on or like a younger person would definitely walk all the younger people walked around they were way more respectful but when you had like a a person between the ages of like tw late 20s and like 40 they tended to walk through and if they had a kid they the kids with the stroller they always walked through like i saw so many people with big strollers and instead of like walking around with the strollers they just like powered through and there was only one time that this lady's like pushed your stroller almost like into you to try to like get you to move it was nuts yeah yeah and I actually held my ground toward the last few minutes without the exterior performance where this man and I felt so bad I really I really did I need to stress that I felt so bad but for the integrity of my work and what it was saying I had to hold fast my position but this man went with his child and went to go in front of me between to where I'd have to back up to the edge of the sidewalk and he'd have to go between my foot plate and the wall of the building <clears throat> and he's he's kept saying excuse me excuse me and for like a minute he sat there waiting for me to move and I was like you know no excuse you excuse you because I I, I realize you have a child. I realize you have a stroller. I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to lack compassion for that. But I'm also thinking my dad and my mom who had no 
services when we were children used to lift us inside of our wheelchairs up into a little Volkswagen bus van every time we wanted to go somewhere, somewhere. Not one, not two, but three wheelchairs or little strollers. He would lift them up and put them in there. So in that moment, I was like, no, you can go around. If my dad did this, if my mom and dad did this their whole life, you can take a minute to go around and, my installation. And going around you was not even that big of a deal because literally five steps either way, there's a ramp that went literally down into the huge, it wasn't like a little bike, bike lane. It was a huge was a big bike, bike lane. And the bike lane had pillars yeah. that divided the, the street, like the cars yeah. from the bike lane, which was nuts. So all you had to do is take five steps back, go in the bike lane, walk down this huge bike lane and go right back up on the sidewalk. But people, especially in the strollers, refused to do that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. It was for sure frustrating. Um, so toward the end of the performance, I was like, you know what? You want to invade my space? I'm going to invade your space. So I took all of the flowers and then I strolled around weaving in and out of traffic um, <clears throat> in front of the performance area, mm -hmm. kind of being a little bit of a disturbance or a nuisance, you know, um, because you're not going to, you're not going to, 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 to deny, to deny my, my presence. You're not going to ignore me. Um, I absolutely refuse that now more than ever, as I age, it's more important that you know that I'm here and that you know that you could be right next to me in a wheelchair on a walker with crutches, with filling or without, with breathing apparatuses or without. Anything can happen at any moment. We have no control over our lives. We have this illusion that we have control. Um, but ultimately, do we? We can control what we do in our everyday lives, but we have no control over how the out world, outside world will interject, interject itself. So our, our concern for control is just a facade for our lack of understanding of self for our own fragility. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I get really frustrated when I see people just treat others like they don't exist. Because mm -hmm. um, no one wants to feel that way. So this is your newest project, right? This is the one project. that I'm, yes, this is the one that I'm, I'm building and I'm trying to get shown all over the United States. I would love to go international with it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if any of you know, I don't know if either of you know of, a, of an artist from the disabled community, performance artist from the disabled community who passed away, I wanna say it was four years ago, um, Catherine Arinello, um, beautiful performance artist, was a, this, this, this personality with a crooked smile and this flame red, faux hawk, bouffant-esque 80s, you know, cure hairstyle. Mm -hmm. And um, she would oftentimes use the inspiration factor or the sympathy factor that society throws in our face as a way to poke and prod and just mess with them. Um, I draw a lot of inspiration from that performance artist because uh, there was, there was just, just so much fearlessness 
I would like to see how my work would translate overseas where uh, individuals with disabilities actually have a little bit more of a chance to have comfortable lives that are more autonomous than we do in America. To be honest with you, one of my biggest fears is why ending up in a nursing home with no one around me because, you know, the state won't pay for my care. And that is a fight even just to live in my own apartment to get my care and to get the hours that I need. It's a fight. Every year is a fight to find caregivers that will work for the amount of money that the, the abysmal and disrespectful amount of money that the government gives me to pay them, you know, um, it's a fight. And so this performance is like a bill into an examination of my life up to date and how I've been able to exist in a society that doesn't recognize my value and doesn't want to reassess itself to integrate my community in further. Um, I also do a secondary side project that is more adult is what <laughs> adult is what I like to say. Um, because one of the other tragedies to the, I don't want to say tragedy in a very, very tongue in cheek way, because people are like, oh, you poor thing. Um, you know, uh, one of the tragic parts of being an individual with a disability other than feeling like you don't fit into society and they don't really want you to sometimes is, um, they don't want to see that you're a person and that you like sex and that you're sexual and that you're sexy. And um, I like to, to, to display that. I like to show it off. I like to make people feel very uncomfortable because it forces them to ask themselves, why am I so uncomfortable with this? Mm -hmm. Why? Um, so uh, yeah, I do a little side, more adult performances like that. <clears throat> They're called sex talks. Basically me uh, making people feel very uncomfortable, which I, I have to admit, I love, I love to do. I absolutely love to because people either want to infantilize us or fetishize us. Um, and they want to do it in secret. It's like, I know I'm fine. I don't know why you have to hide me away. You should be like lucky. I won't even give you a shot at this. Can you explain a little bit more like what the performance is with the sex talks? Oh, uh, well, my first, well, I wanted to do the sex talk once because right now I really do want to focus on the more advocate, the more advocacy and um, social uh, inclusion part of my, my work. But the sex talk performance has been done once. I would like to build on that once I get more funding. Um, you know, I applied, as you know, I'm sure, yeah, applying for grants is a love and a hate thing for artists because, you know, back in the day, we were rock stars, man. We were court painters. People wanted us in their house. They wanted us doing things for them. And now it's like we have to fight to pay our bills unless we, like, have people that latch on to our work. And, you know, uh, we need to stomp out elitism and art. That's all I'm going to say about that. But to answer your question, I've only done the sex talk one time, and I actually got injured. My roommate's boyfriend stabbed me during it. It was the funniest thing. I'm laughing now because he's like, he's the, he's the nicest guy. He's like been one of my friends for years. And I actually met my roommate through him. So he's always over here. But um, I did the sex talk performance at a brewery in Atlanta called Sabbath Brewery. If you're ever here, 
best sour beer, hands down, fantastic. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I do love sour beer. It's, mm. it's pretty different. I don't like beer, but I will drink a Sabbath sour beer like now. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so um, I came out in a, my headdress, my mask, and I came out to Nine Inch Nails um, Reptile. <clears throat> and I was wearing, uh, and the reason I chose reptile is because, you know, it's about shedding the skin and owning one's, you know, sexual being and just a whole bunch of that, you know, and I was wearing this all white dress and then I, I rolled up to people and I moved my chair to the, the music um, and I gave, a pe I gave people a pair of scissors and I asked that they cut into my dress. Mm. <clears throat> obviously taking a cue from Miss Yoko Ono and cut, mm -hmm. um, but it revealed a tease underneath. So the first person I go to is my best friend's, uh, or my roommate's uh, boyfriend, which is one of my friends. And he's like nervous, you know? I, I, I you know, when you're performing and you need audience, um, <clears throat> interaction you always kind of put patsies in the audience your friends tell them what to do to kind of lead it off I told him what to do and he was so nervous he's trying to cut um and his hands are shaking and like I have this spot on my foot that's a scar and um the scissors caught the dress and slid past the scar and popped my my skin open Ooh. a good two to three inches popped it open Oh, and um, no. so I'm going around and I'm like, oh, that hurt. I felt it. I felt the stab. And I was like, oh, I'm okay, whatever. And then like, you know, but you know, people are like cutting my dress off and underneath my dress, I have all this lace see-through 90 and like, no, I don't even think I was wearing, I know I was wearing boy shorts because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to expose people too much. I didn't want to terrify them just yet. <laughs> um, so, so I'm like got this lacy 90 on and like, the song changes to um, Boy Harsher, Your Body is Nothing, um, which I wanted that because it's like people treat me like I'm nothing, but I am this very sexual person and I own my sexuality and I relish in it. So like I had my friend come up and choke me and I had another friend come up and rub me and I would like, grab people from the audience and tell them to do things. The music goes out, of course, there's always a hiccup. And so I have to start talking to the audience. Luckily, I love to talk as you're learning right now. <laughs> and, you know, my friend is sitting there and my friend's like rubbing all over me. And, you know, she goes and sits down. Another girl comes up and is like, can I rub your feet? I'm like, sure. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She goes and sits down. And then later on, like I'm doing a live transfer from my wheelchair onto a couch to where I can ask or I can answer questions um, from the audience. Because I want them to see like what it takes for me to go from one place to the next and so as I'm getting the sling on me I'm like guys um if you have blood on you I'm sorry at that moment I noticed my foot plate was filled with blood my dress had this huge red spot my foot was like still bleeding it bled for like an hour and a half after the performance luckily my friend who's an EMT was there and did triage after the performance but I came home and like I told my friend I was like you did it. It's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was like, oh, it happens. It's just, it made the performance more interesting, I guess. But Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, What's like, the performance you did? Because I was going through your uh, the, your website. You have one where it's like two women. I think I... Uh, oh God, oh God, you're going to have some And then you have the nipples <laughs> clamped to them. Are they being Oh my God. Because <laughs> it looks like it's... Uh, 
You're electrocuting. You know, it's funny. Needles. That performance is still talked about to this day in my city. And uh, one of my friends came up to me at this restaurant. I was like, hey, that performance, I have to tell you, because um, she was the one that curated it. <clears throat> she goes, TJ Miller contacted Idrum because he wanted to use our space because he happened to walk in and he saw your performance. And he's like, it was the craziest thing. There was this girl in a wheelchair with her nipples, clamps on him, and two other women. And then there was this guy with no pants on. <laughs> it was crazy. So it was like, it was still, they still talked about. It. And like a, a comedian wanted to use the space because of that performance. It was just <laughs> wild. But I did a performance piece called, um, I'm going to, I'm going to forget the, the three graces. Um, at Allegory of Spring. Allegory of Spring is based on the three graces by Raphael. And um, so it was three women who represented these characters that uh, the female, uh, female identity kind of latches onto throughout art history, you know, patience and grace and, you know, um, comfort, nurturing, all that type of stuff, you know, that jazz. And um, so it was three of us and we came out I was, an all in I was all in white and they came out and undressed starting with their feet first to kind of desexualize the form. And then they cut my dress for me. And then we had these spindles of fruit loops um, on the wall. We had one that was at three foot, one that was at six foot, one that was at nine foot. And then once we were all undressed, um, we delivered this monologue. Um, and then they went and started grabbing the spindles off the wall and attached them to my breast and attached them to their breast. And so you have this really beautiful, angular, um, colorful crescendo of, of, of light. And it's, it's really, it's that there are actually incredible pictures online of it. But um, you know, the whole idea was we were not allowed to talk to anyone in the audience. People had to come up and eat these spindles of Fruit Loops obviously before COVID and, um, or they could crush them, but we could not move from our spots until all of the Fruit Loops were gone. And they were like, I'm not kidding you, eight boxes of damn Fruit Loops. Almost oh, dang. Eight boxes. And it was very slow, but this was an open air performance. So people from outside could come in. It was in downtown Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. Our downtown is kind of dusty. It looks like an apocalyptic city. Everything else is happening outside of downtown. They're redoing that now. But people would walk in from the streets. So this guy walks in and he comes up and he gets in between all three of us and he's like looking at us and he's just kind of staring at us. And then he starts grabbing the spindles and pulling them and making our, our breast move. Oh. We're not doing anything. We're just sitting there. And, you know, we can't say anything. We know that there's, this is off. We know it's off. And so he's like kind of moving around. He pulls his shirt up and then he takes his jacket off and pulls his shirt off. And, you know, he kind of looks at my, my friend, Sophia, who was part of the, the, the uh, performance group Mother Girl from Chicago. They're Katie and Sophia are great, very professional. Um, and uh, he looks over at Sophia and kind of pinpoints her. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking back at my friend, Alex. Uh, he goes up to Morgan and is like, is anyone looking out for them? And Morgan goes, do you need help? She mouths it to me. And I was like, do you want him to leave? And at that point, she comes walking up. He's already dropped his pants, fully erect. Oh. Fully erect, yes. And my there is a picture of my friend Sophia going, 
like that. She's like, it was just so, but um, she, yeah, Morgan walks up. She's like, let's lead the performing to the performers and escort him out. And the guy was obviously, I mean, it's, he was someone that lived on the street. He, he was a drug addict. He was high. Um, afterwards, though, people just rushed to us. And those Fruit Loops started flying off like confetti. They were like, we got to get them off of these walls because they're obviously not moving. So you just see all these shards of like Fruit Loops flying everywhere. The floor is covered. And then we pull ourselves off the wall. We don't disconnect. We pull ourselves off the wall and we leave the space. And then afterwards, we kind of look at each other and we're like, yes, that happened. And then I go, I feel like we should go give that guy a tip. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's that insane. crazy. Oh my goodness. It was definitely one of those moments where it's like, oh, okay. Well, okay. and it's so interesting that you have like elements that come into your performance that kind of challenge you as a performer of like, are you going to react you know? or are you going to not? And that's, that is very interesting as a fellow performer to get in your headspace to mm. like, would I don't know what I would do if some man came and dropped his drawers and that's crazy. It was, it was definitely one of those moments. It was like, okay, all right. I don't know what to do with this, but uh, I guess we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I really like, I like I said, I love to be, I love to make people feel uncomfortable because there's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable. I spend, I would say, easily 98% of my day uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Sitting in a wheelchair, it's not comfortable. And, you know, having a wedgie for six hours that you can't remove is not comfortable. Having to go to the bathroom and no one help you, it's not comfortable. So if I can be uncomfortable in my life, you can handle my performances for maybe three to five hours. You can handle the uncomfortable nature because you come out stronger in the end. I'm giving you the ability to learn and to realize your own value and also the value of others, to educate yourself, um, to be receptive of being educated, to learning from my position rather than judging from yours. That was good. I should write that down. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, for me, I like, I will also make myself uncomfortable because sometimes like a, it's really hard to kind of stay in position. I don't think anyone understands, like when I was younger and I was an undergrad, I didn't even think about performance. It's like, oh, that's stupid. I didn't know anything about it until I started doing it much through the, you know, you know, my, my, the, the guidance of my mentors in grad school, they're like, you really need to look into performance because there's something about you that people want to know, so let them know. And then I got into performance, and I was like, wow. And I, it, performance in a way kind of saved my creative life, to be honest with you, but the nature of my disability, it, it robs me of my muscles. You know, each, each year, even with me being on a million dollar treatment, which is ridiculous, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, that I obviously don't pay for because I'm broke as hell all the time. Um, you know, I. I'm able to maintain what I have, but performance gave me a, a voice that visual arts could not. Um, you know, it was always kind of nice to draw something and someone would look at my drawing and look at me and be like, you did that? It's like, yeah, hmm. yeah. imagine what else I could do, you know? <laughs> um, 
and then your performance gave me a way of just being me, being okay with me, um, identifying as myself, not trying to jump through the hoops of normalcy while having a 250 to 450 pound object of necessity strapped to my back. It gave me a way to feel free even though I was weighted. Um, yeah. I don't know, I kind of off on a little tangent there, but being uncomfortable is where I was going with that. You know, um, I make myself uncomfortable even more so in my performances because it's hard, it's hard to sit still. Like when you have constant like leg pressure or back pain, it's really hard to sit still. So I don't think that people understand, even though I'm just sitting here, that takes a lot out of you just to sit here and, and suffer in silence and live and drown in that uncomfortableness, to deny yourself the benefit of the assisted technology to make yourself comfortable in a performance setting just adds to the emotional turmoil that goes unknown to the audience unless I allow them to know that. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but let's dive into it a little bit more. And I'll do this fast because someone's like, I keep muting myself because someone's like hammering something upstairs. But you talked about being classically trained. Um, so let's talk about you starting being classically trained and what was like, what kind of material you used, what kind of art you did um, for someone that has no idea or have, hasn't seen any of your, um, like your sketches and things like yeah. that. Because on, uh, on Instagram, it's hard to find any of your, drawings I think you have a little bit of like a small part of it um but your you can find a lot more drawings on your website um you have a really cool one with the balloons um yeah I did a series of balloons because balloons for me are a strength are a symbol of um of strength and reality like as a child and unabashed hope and and realizations um as a child when you're when you get a balloon you you, you love it, you hold on to it, you cry if it flies away, it's shiny, it makes noises, it floats, um, it can pop, you know, but you, 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 as a child, hold on to that string and like let that balloon wave in the wind and, and shine and sparkle in the light. And then you let it go and you have this illusion that it's gonna go and go and go and go and go forever and it will forever be that shiny, circular object of freedom and flight and as you get older you realize the balloon eventually it loses that shine it dissolves in the sun and it pops and falls to the earth and that's kind of like what we do as people so mm -hmm. I love the service of the balloon um, when you ask me about being classically trained as classically trained because my mentor in undergrad is a wonderful fine artist named Joseph Rimelard you should look him up he is, um, what I, I would consider Joseph a hyper-realist artist. Um, I was self-taught and uh, I was always like the best drawer in school, you know, grammar school, middle school, high school, I was always the best drawer, but then I kind of like lost my way. I didn't get into the college I wanted. I was stuck at a teacher school. All I did was hang out with like people that were just not good for me. I wanted to fit in, so I was always drinking and smoking pot and, and 
just doing just uh, not that that I think there's anything wrong with that. It's great for medicinal purposes, um, you know. Um, but I was kind of like lost. I was trying to fit in, and when you're someone that tries to fit in without realizing you were meant to stand out, you actually start to lose the ability to stand out by just trying to fit in. And I, I lost myself and like, I had this like total breakdown and I, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I'd been denied transfer and I wasn't gonna take no for an answer. I think I had, I'd, gotten, I'd gone through the motions and taken no as an answer too many times. So I grabbed all of my drawings I'd done in my, my home over the past few years, put them in this old portfolio and I took them to the department head or the, um, no, the Dean of, of uh, Students for, for Kennesaw State University. And I was like, look, my background, <laughs> you know, it says I am a horrible student and I am, but I've been doing something I haven't been wanting to do. And this is what I want to do. Give me a chance. So he let me in on academic probation and I actually graduated as top senior in the visual arts department oh, wow. four years later. Um, and during that four-year time period, I moved out on my own. I've been on my own since I was 22 years old. You know, my parents were like, what are you going to do if something happens to us? I'm like, well, damn, I, I have no idea. So I guess I better learn what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, during that time, I moved out on my own. And I learned from great teachers like Joseph Rimillard at Kennesaw State University. Um, and Kennesaw State University has a wonderful program. It's really um, it's really set in a traditional sense where you learn traditional mediums, traditional surfaces. You know, you you learn. You are just really taught a lot about art history. I'm amazed I can even remember some of the stuff that I remember just randomly. Remember, um, so when I went to Kennesaw, when I went to Georgia State for grad school, they were more conceptual, and that's where I got into the performance. Um, you know, I do draw, I do paint. Um, I actually can do, I can really actually do anything. I know how to do it. My body allowing me to do it is the other question. Um, you know, I, I, I've even done wood sculptures. My fingers hated me for it. I have many scars. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I did it, you know. Uh, so that's, I guess, what I mean by classically trained. Is like I, I've been trained in traditional sense, like a, academically, you know, kind of, educated through old world techniques, um, things like uh, absorbent grounds and you know, silver point, old school mediums. I know how I like mix my own pigments and all that stuff, which I don't do it anymore, <laughs> mainly because it's not me doing it, it's me telling other people what to do and I hate that. Mm -hmm. I have to do that enough just to get up and go to the bathroom. It's like, oh, I don't wanna do that in my professional life. I just wanna do me. Just do me. I love that uh, you said it earlier that you found performance as the outlet for you for your art and it gave you like not a second chance but like that's how you are using your creative um, yeah. concepts. It did give me a second chance. It gave me a second chance of recreating the visual to the world. Um, in a way that is not traditional or not traditionally accepted um, visually by those who are not practitioners of performance or those who are not 
um, historians of performance. You know, I have, performance is relatively relatively new, um, but also at the same time not. I think uh, performance art in the sense of you know if you compare Shakespeare actors, those are performers, mm -hmm. to people like um, Bob Flanagan. The juxtapositioning is otherworldly. Like, do y'all know Bob Flanagan? Mm -mm. I don't. Well, no. Bob Flanagan uh, is no longer with us. Bob Flanagan died a few, died about 15 years ago, I want to say. His um his partner still lives, I think, in LA. Her name is Cherie Rose. Um, and uh, Bob Flanagan was known as the uh, super masochist. Um, he uh, was the oldest living male with cystic fibrosis. He attributed his uh, ability to live as long as he did to his uh, performance practice, which was basically indulging in the sadomasochistic lifestyle as a way to find some meaning behind the unwanted beatings that were related to his disease versus the ones that he welcomed through his partnership with Cherie. So he did things like he nailed it, he, he nailed a Penis, he noticed penis to a board as part of oh. a performance. Uh, he would hang upside down and be beaten down his back, which is a form of percussion coughing, coughing, which is something that you do to relieve the lungs of the mucus that builds in the walls of cystic fibrosis. But he's a beautiful, he was a beautiful performance artist. He really put himself out there. Um, and he kind of dived head first in and inspired me in a way to allow myself to be seen, truly, truly seen, not just allowing people to see parts, but you know, Bob Flanagan would sit there with a catheter hanging off, wearing a diaper or, or, or a pair of pants that you could see the catheter hanging from, all of his scars from the many treatments that he had had, wearing a, a, a breathing apparatus with a, a, a Superman cape on, and he would talk about sex and performance and being beaten and all of this stuff and how, like, he would get erect from just having his back beaten from coughing and stuff like that. Just random, just beautiful kind of like really telling it from another perspective. Um, it was just, it was just enchanting. He's, he was enchanting. You should look him up. It's fantastic. Uh, he now, his partner, Bob, 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 uh, let me see, died about 15 years ago. So Cherie Rose actually has worked with another uh, artist with cystic fibrosis named Martin O'Ryan. I think Martin's in London now, but he also does the same type of work that Bob Flanagan did. Um, yeah, so I follow performance artists that are also in my own community, as well as in the, you know, outward, <laughs> outside the disabled community performance artist. Um, I do that because like, I really wanna, I, I think we need to stomp elitism in the art world so that everybody can exist. You know, I, I really hate seeing the same artists get the same things over and over and over. I'm, I'm happy for them, but at the same time, it's like there are more people that are more need of things and there's enough for everybody. And, and we gotta stop, if we're going to exist into a creative future, we got to stop burning those bridges as we're climbing them. You know, it's like people walk up the bridge and then they light it. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone else get out. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work that way. work that way. We won't exist. I don't know about you, but I want to be an artist that I'm in a history book. Mm -hmm. Same. Yep. Which is why you're doing interesting work. Um, 
because I know so many artists that don't do interesting work. I'm like, do something interesting. You're not going to get in the history books doing what everyone's doing. And I, you're so unique and different that I really, it, your work makes me excited. So mm -hmm. thank you. Agreed. Your work makes me excited. <laughs> it does. I, I like to follow you for years. I, cause I, I, I know, without having read some of your work information, my first take on your work is just the juxtapositioning between what people see on the outside with this, this beautiful young woman with these eyes that sparkle and a smile, but there, there's so much more beyond that facade. Um, and I like how you've taken your understanding of the three-dimensional world and you've made this amalgam of the three-dimensional world with the performance world with this poetic world that is inside of you. I, if that's, I mean, if I'm wrong, correct me. No, no, I think it's, I'm gonna write that down and put it on my website, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than how I would say it, so. Mm. Well, Just have Jessica rewrite your uh, whole I think website. sometimes <laughs> that's the best way to have an artist statement is having other people write what they're actually seeing within your work. The best way to write an art in a statement is just to start damn talking. Just yeah. start talking and record yourself. Like some of the things that I say, I don't remember saying them and then people will document them or publish them and they're like, damn, I sound insightful. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I am like the type of person, like I can't do math. Like it is the funniest thing in the world. I cannot do math. If you give me a fraction, I will start breaking out highs and I will cry. My friend thinks it's the funniest thing in the world because he knows me so well. He knows that my two fears in life are fractions and Teddy Ruxpin. So he told me one year he was going to get me a Teddy Ruxpin that asked me fractions for Christmas. I'm like, oh if you do that, the friendship will be over. <laughs> um, I can't do math either. Fractions and percentages. Like, I think it's what? high. I think of pie or pizza, which is really funny because of bats. I'm like, hmm, pie. Let me think. How much pie can I give you and still have a fourth for myself? <laughs> well, I think uh, before we talk way too much, um, we should end on pie and fractions. <laughs> so, um, Jessica, where is a great place for, uh, you already talked about Instagram. Just throw your Instagram out again because this is our plug section. Yeah, it's Willie underscore and underscore artist as in I'm Willie an artist, like wheelchair an artist, Willie an artist. I also have another Instagram that I can't even remember, but I think it's daftgirl79, which stands for disabled as, you know, expletive. I'm trying to mind my words because I don't know, like, if I can cuss. Um, oh, no, we're free. You can, okay. well, we're adults. It means disabled as fuck, because I'm disabled <laughs> as fuck. Um, so, but I don't really get on that, but that has some of my work on it. Um, I mean, you can Google me. That sounds so pretentious, Google me. But you can Google me, and there's a lot of stuff that you'll find. Um, I've also <laughs> stuck it to the man a couple of times. You might find some lawsuits, and they're like, yeah, you're not accessible, buddy, and fix it, and you don't. Well, that's your problem. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, you can Google me and you will find, I tell my students, if you Google me, just be ready. Just, just be ready. <laughs> be ready. 
<laughs> it, it took me it took me six months and no, three months preparation before I taught that one year of middle school to make sure that none of my students when they googled me would find a picture of Miss Blinkhorn's tatas or cuckoo. Mm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that cannot happen. No, no. <laughs> but now it's all over. So oddly enough, I tell guys the same thing in my dating profiles. If you want to see more of me, just Google me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, hey. Samuel, do you have any plugs? Um, do I? Yes. Um, the swim lesson book for uh, mommy teach me how to swim is coming out pretty soon if you want more information you can follow cooksy swim uh anywhere we're on instagram twitter tiktok even the website so that should be coming out the end of this month which is january mm-hmm. along with the audiobook and then from there um if you want more information about teaching your own child how to swim uh, we're going to start doing our online course. So just uh, there's a bunch of information out there. If you're interested, just go to cooksyswim.com. That's C-O-O-K-S-E-Y swim.com. And you can find all that information. Oh, one last thing, um, Catherine. Uh, I am, I don't know if you guys noticed, I may have told you this when I saw you at um, Art Basel, but um, I met you at Art Basel. Um, but I have officially been named the curator for Art and Odd Places 2022 Story is the name of the the, uh, <clears throat> the show this year, Story. And, um, you know, so if you're a performance artist or an installation artist and you're interested in performing in New York, um, I will be putting a co-op artist very soon. And uh, I'm looking forward to creating a beautiful show that celebrates um all communities it's highly 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 inclusive that's but really hopefully. exciting mm-hmm. so i hope you know maybe you can come up with a proposal and toss it that way and like get your friends too i really want to make a great show that is a beautiful mosaic of what the world has to offer as far as the performance you know visual art world you know when is that show scheduled or is it kind of up in the air <laughs> We are shooting for spring, uh, or not spring, um, sorry, fall. Spring was the last time I was in it. We are shooting for fall, like late summer, early fall in New York. Um, I do want to <clears throat> have artists with disabilities feel like they are, I want them to be included. Because, in you know, art in our places made me feel so included as well when I first started getting involved with art in our places which was started by Ed Woodham, who was an Atlanta native actually. And um, so for me, I want other artists with disabilities to, to, to be given the opportunity to showcase their work as well. So I was like, as an artist with disability, I don't like to perform in the hot and I don't like to perform in the cold. So maybe hitting that little space between the two seasons in New York will be right. Because the first time I performed in New York, it was 43 degrees outside, I was topless. And I did not know that you could park over the street back to stay warm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cold. I don't like to perform in the cold either. So fall in New York is a beautiful time. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, it was great talking with you. Thank you for having me on. I was excited about this. Obviously, I put on my full face and leather, so. No, thank you so much for talking to us. We were really excited to- (laughs) 
have you on. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that this year I can make it out to the West Coast because I I would really love to juxtapose reverence we three into an area of privilege to get people to stop and think. So if people want to help me get to the West Coast, I do have a GoFundMe that you can link to and the podcast uh, information. And I guess afterwards, it's it's on my. I think it's on. I can send it to you. I, don't know I think you have it on, on your, your Instagram. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So that's just where if anyone wants to donate to make sure that reverence we three, you know, seen throughout the United States, they can make a donation and it goes toward the performance cost. And I think you had mentioned earlier that you were thinking about Santa Monica Pier. Yeah, you... yeah, mm-hmm. Santa Monica. And then I, I really want to do Joshua Tree just because I love the desert. I love the desert. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah, let us know and I will be um, putting up those links. So when people are listening to the podcast, they can uh, visit all the different things that you're doing and follow you because it's always a good thing too. And yeah, I, know. Uh, I hope that you can join us for the, um, it's a Art Not Places catalog. Um, we're having a conversation over then and now, and it's happening uh January 15th, and that is on my Facebook if you want to join that, look at that. Um, we'll be talking about art not places just in general, you know, then and now and what have you. Very cool. And I'm assuming it's virtual. Like Absolutely. A, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's virtual. There's awesome. going to be a lot of really cool performance artists that are talking, and Quinn is actually um, the moderator, so. Oh, nice. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I will check that out and I'll promote it too. Um, Thank you again. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to keep up to date on our podcast, always check out our Instagram, Miss Art World. Um, We also have everything up on our website, missartworld.com. And if you want to see us in person talking to, well, I guess not in person. I guess in person. I don't know. If you want to see us talking to each other, you can go on our YouTube channel, uh, Miss Art World, and see us talking to each other in little boxes and see Jessica's beautiful makeup because I am digging that lipstick. Thank you. I used to wear this lipstick when I was 13 years old and my dad would chase me out of the household and he'd be screaming, Jessica, let me blink on your mouth like a butthole. Come here. Well, I think it looks really good. So thank you. I think I'm rocking the golf today. You are. And my eyebrows, I have to say, for the viewers, are fierce today. You guys got a good brow day. Some people are like, who does your brows? I'm like, I do. I'm not $150,000 in student loan debt, not able to draw a pair of brows. Let's <laughs> believe these things could look like they were hopping off my face. <laughs> no, they do look great. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Samuel. Um, And we will be back in two weeks with more podcasts. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.